Welcome to episode 28 of Behaviorally Speaking, a podcast featuring board-certified behavior analysts, Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi. On this episode, they'll talk with two guests, Mary Grace and Rose, about their experiences being siblings to young people with support needs. And now, here are your hosts, Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi. Hello and welcome to our 28th episode of Behaviorally Speaking. I'm one of your hosts, Angela Nelson a board-certified behavior analyst and mother of two. And I'm Kristen Bondi, also a board-certified behavior analyst and mother of three. Hey, Angie. Hey, how's it going? Good. Hanging in there? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're inching into the fall season, waiting for the sweaters to come out. (laughs) I know. know. Well, it's funny because, you know, I mean, there's no, it's, warm here all the time but I I get like one of those really cool um clothing delivery things you like try on these articles of clothing and Uh the issue with living in like hot weather all the time is they send you sweaters in the fall and I'm like well those are so cute but it's so hot here so I'm gonna get that again (laughs) I'll be bummed out I'll have to go up north to wear them or you can just wear them inside with the air conditioning and feel there you go like it's winter weather Well, so let's actually dive right into this topic today. Yes. This is one, one that we've been, yeah, we've been waiting for this one. Um, we are going to be talking about siblings, but we have a really neat spin on this. So this topic of siblings is kind of woven into a lot of our discussions, right? But this time we actually have two guests with us, which we're really excited about. And we are going to be diving into the world of having a sibling who has various medical or support needs. So many times, um, you know, growing up and even in adulthood, which our two guests are adults, um, there is a lot of focus placed on maybe the child or the the adult who has various health or support needs. And Mm -hmm. we really want to take a different spin and talk to the siblings. And um, so really, without further ado, I think we should should do introductions. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's do it. Hi, guys. My name is Mary Grace DeCaratree. I am a sales manager on the Rethink Behavioral Health side. So we provide software and services to ABA and other behavioral health care providers. I have been with Rethink for just about a year and a half, I think almost a year and a half now. And I am a newlywed living with my husband and our precious dog, Moose. And I am also a big sister to a little boy on the autism spectrum. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing. Thanks for having me. Yes. And hello, everyone. Um, My name is Rose Bulbulla. I'm the director of product for Rethink Care. Um, the same division as Angie. So it's lovely to be able to join her on this. I think that this is a great uh, you know, platform and it's an honor to be able to leverage my story and a little bit of my history to what brought me to this company. But I've been with the organization for, I would say, a year and a half. It's coming up on two years in November now, actually. So yeah, time is going by, um, but it's a wonderful time. It's I'm working with great team members and yeah, it's uh, brought me to opportunities like this to talk about such impactful topics. So looking forward to it, guys. Welcome. Yeah. Well, we're so excited to have you. And, and let me just say that 30 minutes before our recording today, I was on the phone with a parent and 
I'm not even kidding. She said to me, do you guys have any resources on supporting siblings and maybe uh, even diving deeper into supporting siblings when I have to support the other sibling? <laughs> and so I was like, you know, interestingly enough, we're actually hosting a podcast here. today on that. <laughs> so this couldn't be more timely. And I'm yeah. really excited to have you guys here. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. All right, well, let's get into it. So we've got some questions we prepared. And so I think to level set a little bit, maybe our first question can be, if you both could describe yourselves as a sibling. So really, maybe how has your role as a sibling contributed to your life today? Absolutely. So I am actually one of eight children. Um, I have seven brothers. So I think that my role as a sibling certainly looks different across the board. Um, but one of my little brothers, like I said, does happen to be on the autism spectrum. And I would say our story may not look the same as a lot of our listeners, um, because I was older when my little brother was born, and we do have quite a large age gap. But my role as his sister is a protector a mentor, and most importantly, I really do strive to be an advocate for him. Uh, my role as his sister has contributed to my life uh, in more ways than one, and I think the most significant would be that both my education and my career path have been uh, and continue to be inspired by my little brother. So I did pursue my master's in developmental science while I worked as a registered behavior technician, and now I really cannot imagine my life uh, working outside of the field of autism. So I would say that my little brother is present in my everyday life, even when he's not physically with me. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, having your brother has really kind of dictated your career path and kind of sparked that passion, it sounds like. Absolutely. He is my little inspiration for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, um, I'm the eldest of two, so I'm currently 32 years old, but my younger sister is 12 years younger than me. So we have a, a bit of a dynamic relationship um, in terms of the role that we had with one another. I've always felt as if I was more of a, a parent sibling than I was just a sibling sibling. And I think that's primarily because of the age gap. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was 12 years old when she was born and then immediately went into college. Um, so I moved away from home when she was just starting to get old enough that so that I could look at her as more of a, a peer as opposed to, um, you know, a younger sibling that I had to babysit mm -hmm. or take care of or help my mom, you know, uh, attend to her needs. Mm -hmm. But it, it really has been such an honor to be a sibling to my little sister. Um, the challenges that she's experienced has been so, so impactful to her life, to my life, to the lives of those around her. And for a, a large amount of time, I would say maybe three, four years, we didn't know what exactly she was diagnosed with. So there was a lot of fear around the uncertainty that, that weighed over uh, the situation. And she always handled it with such grace, with um, you know, acting as, as her own biggest health advocacy. And that has been what really inspired me uh, to, to choose the profession that I'm in today and to kind of approach life and unknowns and, you know, challenges that you really can't expect or, or call for um, with just a, a sense of purpose 
and um, you know, a sense of accountability and responsibility in that we all can learn a lot about health. We can be our biggest advocate and we can work together with other healthcare providers to be able to provide uh, you know, the needs that, that we need to service against. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been great. And that's a little bit about me. <laughs> it sounds like for both of you that, you know, the experience has been really positive and, and you, you yes. have some, uh, commonalities in that you're both significantly older than your sibling, which we don't yep. always, you know, think about, right. And sometimes mm -hmm. we have a picture in our mind of, oh, the kids both go to school together and, you know, there's maybe kind of a certain picture in your head, but, um, then it sounds like. Rose, with you, you're you've kind of adopted almost a, a mother a motherly uh, role, and maybe view your sister's um, current situation in a, in a different way because you do have more of that role as opposed to a just you know being a peer sort of exactly. relationship. Yeah, it's an interesting age gap, and it impacted my role both with my parents as well as with my sister. So because there was that two-way impact, um, and because she is significantly younger than me, our, our relationship has changed. The way that that our family um, and our dynamic has been has changed throughout time. But it, it's it's definitely been one that's continuously unfolding and um, evolving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, this actually, so our next question is, is kind of, uh, I guess, piggybacking off of what we were just talking about. So maybe you both can share a little bit about, you know, what has the impact been uh, of being a sibling to someone who does have support needs? Yeah. So I would say the impact for me has presented itself through somewhat of a learning curve um, and learning more about ASD and being much more curious about all that it entails because I'm pretty confident um, I would not have known this much about autism or been this passionate about this population uh, without my little brother. I would say it can also be a pretty humbling experience, uh, reminding us personally that our needs are not the only needs, uh, which is not to say that my needs took a back seat. I'm very fortunate in that my parents did do a wonderful job balancing um, both my needs and my little brother's needs. I would say it's also created in me a strong sense of empathy and adaptability, which I know is you know, relatable for a lot of siblings. They really do have to adapt. And there's also certainly a little level of anxiety that I'm sure a lot of siblings, two children with support needs experience as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'd say at the beginning of this journey, when, when my sister first started uh, revealing symptoms of her illness, that was when I, I was overwhelmed with a sense of fear. But through that fear, I was able to you know, gain a, a sense of empowerment. And that really came from um, becoming involved with you know, health literacy, understanding what it means to be a health advocate, understanding the impact of accessibility of care and different resources that are necessary in order to have a holistic view of a scenario that we were encountering. So it, it's, it's really just encouraged me to want to be able to share my story and any learnings that I have around this topic with others so that if they ever face the same types of challenges or if they're ever feeling like they don't know where to start or they might want to take you know, additional measures to ensure that the treatment plan or how they're approaching their, their child or sibling's um, illness is the best to meet their needs. So that's, that's really what I, I take away um, from this whole experience. And 
yeah, I feel really good about that. And it gives me a sense of purpose in my work and in my day-to-day interactions with individuals, whether it's just someone I'm talking to on the side of the street or someone that, you know, I'm, I'm mentoring or coaching when it comes time to open enrollments and they just want some advice about standard policies, I'll really give them the security that they need in, in today's day and age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. You know, I, it's, I'm hearing from both of you that it's, it's like a, a way of you to maybe learn a little bit more about something you did, you knew very little about beforehand, you know, so like having that sibling mm-hmm. has kind of opened your door to maybe further understanding. And then not only that, but maybe helping other people understand it as well. So, so exactly. yeah, that's, that's really good. So it's like, I'm seeing the positive here, you know, kind of the positive side of this. But then of course, maybe the next question thinking about I'm sure that there have been things that, that were difficult for you when you were growing up or, or even now, really, having a sibling with some extra support needs. So if you could maybe think about something that was difficult for you or um, about maybe from your perspective. Yeah. So I think what Rose mentioned about being fearful in the beginning mm-hmm. um, is something that has been difficult about my role as a sibling as well. I think uh, the most difficult thing is being worried or concerned about my younger sibling. I've always been very protective of all of my brothers, um, and they all know that, not just my little brother with autism. And you kind of have to think about the fact that not everybody in this world is as compassionate or understanding of individuals with support needs as, you know, us speaking on this podcast may be. Um, So there is typically a lingering sense of worry or fear that someone will be unkind or disrespectful to my brother. Um, Mm -hmm. That's absolutely not okay. Uh, So it can be hard to have faith, you know, that people will be good to him. And I think that's something that I've struggled with. Yeah, Yeah. I can Uh, be, I can imagine that being really hard. I can definitely relate to to a lot of that. Um, I remember when my sister was first diagnosed, she was in middle school and a part of her treatment plan throughout that process was receiving an NG tube uh, so that she can receive her nutrients, so that she can receive feedings, and she would carry it in a backpack throughout all of her classes. So bullying was a fear that was constantly weighing on my mind, and it was a topic that we were frequently discussing at the end of her school days because you know, the reality of the fact is uh, kids kids are more honest and, and uh, you know, they'll speak their minds. If they see something that is different than what they're used to seeing, or if they have questions, if there's anything that's outside the norm for them, they'll usually speak on it. And the impact that I can have to an individual on the receiving end could be detrimental to some extent. But that's where I really use that as an opportunity to talk to my sister about who we are as individuals outside of of the circumstances and how she can lead with love, how she can lead with knowledge, with um, understanding, with educating to to gain more more awareness around the challenges that she was dealing with. Now, hers were, were more apparent because it impacted her physical appearance, but that doesn't take away from, you know, many other challenges that children will have where it's not as noticeable on the outside. So, you know, looking at some of those bullies, looking at some of these really sad situations, feeling the pain, and then considering the fact that others might be feeling that same pain, but just not in obvious external ways or for obvious external reasons um, can help us, you know, form closer relationships with one another and and bind ourselves together through our pain instead of using that as as a barrier apart. Um, But it's been a challenge, right? Because I'm still her sibling. I'm not her. I can never assume that I understand exactly how she's feeling or what she's Mm -hmm. going through 
I can only love her and support her and do everything I can that's within my control. Um, and yeah, that was a hard, a hard reality that we had to face and we had to go through. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. One thing I wanted to say on that, um, it's interesting because I'm kind of hearing from both of you that you, you automatically put yourselves into that protector role. Like it was mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm here, I'm going to protect you. And I wonder if that's from having that large age gap of that you, you were able to fulfill that role and it wasn't even coached for you to do that. And I, I wonder if a lot of families who are listening who might have a smaller age gap would would want to know well how do we kind of instill that into our the sibling and not that they need to be the protector but i think a lot of parents might be like angie had mentioned before okay maybe you do have two kids in the same school and you really want that other sibling to be to kind of serve that role would mm -hmm. you have any guidance on how a parent might be able to to do that sorry to put you on the spot but i just kind of yeah, went off in question. that direction <laughs> Yeah, I think for me, a lot of it was based off of our culture and how we were raised, how my parents were raised, how my family was raised, mm -hmm. and how I saw my cousins, um, who I, I've always treated as my siblings as well, um, how, how they, you know, would kind of speak to one another, how their relationships would correspond with one another. And so this was something that never really needed to be asked of us. It, it just happened, right, organically. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say that there was a period of time where the doctors didn't really know what was going on. Um, the therapists, everyone was having their own theory of, of what could potentially be the cause uh, of what she was dealing with at that point. Um, and that's where I realized this is a real opportunity for us to actually lean into being a health advocate. And because I'm her sister and because I'm the one that is not in direct impact of that challenge, I'm more of an observer of a support person. I can play a specific role where I can help her. And if I can help her, she can help herself. She can help the family. Like when we're all strong as individuals, we're stronger as a unit. So that was the mindset that we all went into the situation with. Um, and mm -hmm. I can't say that, you know, it was, it's all been smiles um, throughout the years and all the doctor visits, but it has been what's been at the core of us. And so making sure that you can take time to appreciate your loved ones and the family, making sure that you understand what the importance of love is at the core of your family dynamic will show in so many different ways. And reinforcing that message um, for non-circumstantial you know, reasons, I think is, is a great step forward if there's any parents or siblings who are looking for advice on how they can reinforce that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. That's, that's amazing. I think... Um, this actually brings me to my youngest brother. So my youngest brother is two years younger than my little brother with autism. And it is incredibly beautiful how much he has filled in for that protector role as well, because those two kiddos do go to the same school. They do, you know, run in the same circle. And even though he is two years younger, he has taken on that mentor and that protector and that advocate role. So I think I would say to parents something um, that comes to mind that would be a piece of advice if they want to help foster that sort of relationship with their kiddos with a smaller age gap. I think it's all about educating the other kiddos. So there's no need to point out these differences without being able to explain what they mean. Um, my parents have done a really good job on educating my youngest brother 
what is autism? What does this look like for Liam, you know, my brother with autism? And how can we help him and advocate for him? So my youngest brother, since I can remember, was getting in the car and driving to ABA with my other brother um, and walking him in and picking him up. And he was involved in these things. Um, and I think from the start, he has been uh, kind of supported in that role, again, as a protector and a mentor, because he does know a lot of what it means, even though he's eight years old, which I think mm-hmm. is incredible. So yeah. that may be a good piece of advice for parents to kind of, you don't have to leave your other kiddos in the dark, you know, you yeah. can educate them and mm-hmm. share with them what a lot of this means as well. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I shared with you both um, on our past call about uh, sib shops workshops for mm-hmm. for siblings right and mm-hmm. i led those for a long time and loved it and uh, these kids there were there was an older group and a younger group and these younger kids they're like six years old they're rattling off their siblings you know just everything that's going on with their sibling the diagnoses perfectly you know <laughs> knew everything dosages of medication and just it's amazing and mm-hmm. i i mean from an outsider's perspective it was really impressive. And it sounds like those parents kind of took the same stance as your parents, which is, hey, we're not going to hide this. We're not ashamed of this. This is our life and let's educate. And then that can in turn have positive outcomes too, where, you know, he, it's normalized, right? And he can kind of just say, yep, this is my brother. This is what's going on. And let's move on, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for going on that detour with us. I think that's a really, I'm glad, Kristen, that you brought that up. It's a really important Mm -hmm. question. Um, So our next question is, you know, what is something that's perceived as maybe an everyday thing for families, but was hard or or is hard or maybe different or non-traditional for your family, um, considering you do have a sibling with support needs? Man, I think that there are several everyday tasks that take on more of a non-traditional approach when there is any individual with support needs involved. Um, For me, I think about going to the grocery store or going out to dinner, which are very basic everyday uh, tasks that I don't know that I see them as necessarily being hard per se. And I definitely don't want to frame them in a negative light. Uh, But I do think it's something that families have to adapt to. Um, So we did have to find that, you know, quote unquote, new normal uh, when choosing a place to eat. For example, if a kiddo has food aversions, you will need to find the right restaurant that serves the right type of food um, that won't be too crowded. And so certainly my family did have to put a little bit more thought into these everyday tasks than maybe your average family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I like how you framed it though. It was, it's not hard or, um, some sort of kind of, um, you know, limitation, but it was just an adaption that you guys implemented. So I would say meals have been the most challenging time where we would come together. And I feel like I had to adapt the most just so I can train my brain to be able to sit and have a share, you know, food with my sister, with my mom, without necessarily looking at my sister as if she's the subject, as if, you know, we're going through another test trial where we're monitoring how she's able to retain food, how she's able to retain liquids, um, reading her her nonverbal behaviors to see if there's any new signs or symptoms that might be reflecting itself at that point in time, just because food was 
you know, what was bringing us together um, whenever we would sit at the dining table. So to this day, you know, it's, it's a little difficult for me. I, I, I found myself and continue to find myself looking for new ways where we can spend quality family time that's not oriented around um, anything that's food related, right? And so for my sister, because her, her formal diagnosis today is eosinophil eosinophilic esophagitis, which is basically an internal allergy of her esophagus. Uh, we're still not able to identify what foods trigger the allergy, but we do know that um, it's something that's common enough to cause an influx of certain white blood cells. And that's what would you know, cause her to uh, not be able to hold down certain foods, to have to really take care and watch what she's putting into her mouth. It's why she was on a tube for so long. So I still, I still hold those experiences and the impact that it had on me um, with me to this day. And we're actively adapting, um, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a whirlwind. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You both mentioned food, but I can imagine that it's, it is probably very difficult to sit kind of in the passenger seat with this. So you're you're not able to, to really, you're not in their shoes per se, but you can empathize with them. And you can probably then being an older sibling, I feel you can probably empathize with your parents a little bit also, especially when you both were going through trying to figure out what, what the diagnosis might be for both of your siblings. And I feel like that's very difficult. I'm sure that was difficult as the, the passenger there to have to sit and kind of you know, figure out what's going to be our new normal or what things might have been what we were used to doing, but now we're going to do it a little differently. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure that was very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I think like y'all said earlier, it's just about adaptability and being flexible. And mm -hmm. sometimes you do have to kind of take that pause and sit back and, you know, allow your parents to figure it out or allow the family as a unit to figure out, you know, the best ways to handle various situations and tasks. But uh, you will figure it out. And we did. And Rose, it sounds like y'all did. And so um, it just takes some time, I think. Yeah. Time and reflection. And I think respect, too, is an important element of this. You know, there are certain certain pieces, certain feelings, behaviors, triggers now that, that I have that might be unique than what my mom has as a result mm -hmm. of the circumstances. And being able to give each other enough space to kind of reflect and, and uh, you know, expose what that is and then honor the fact that it might not align exactly with all the other passengers that were on the same journey mm -hmm. and the same car going down the same road. That, that's been a, a hurdle in and of itself. But because we've always approached it from a perspective of love and we never try to assume that we know how each other is feeling, um, it's allowed us to, to grow in other ways. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And, and speaking of growing, that leads nicely into our next question. So this mm -hmm. one might be a little abstract maybe, but, and I'm sure we could all do this or want to do this, but if you could give advice to your younger self as a sibling, what would it be? That's a hard one. You know, I'm going to be honest with you guys. And I'm going to say that I am not sure I would give my younger self much more advice uh, other than to continue to educate myself and others. Mm -hmm. um, going back to that education piece, like I said, I was very interested in learning more about my brother and his diagnosis and what that means for him. Um, but I perhaps could have done a better job at educating others because you're right, when people are not as knowledgeable or they're not as understanding 
um, then it's harder for them to show that respect or that grace. Um, Mm -hmm. So perhaps that's a piece of advice, I suppose. And then I would just probably tell myself to spend more time with my little brother as well. Always look back. And he is so big and grown now, and it makes me very sad. So, (laughs) Awesome. I'd say my advice would be twofold. Um, The first is therapy. I, I wish I could have gone back in time and told myself, told my mom, told my sister, hey, guys, because there's so many unknowns, let's let's honor our minds, our emotions, um, and, and just take that into consideration because it, it had a long-term impact on me, and I'm still revealing some of those, the impacts that um, were a result of that situation. So I could have been a lot kinder to myself. Uh, you know, when when I was going to sleep, when I'm talking to myself in my mind, when I'm meditating, when I'm trying to seek opportunities to help to the best of my ability, you know, just having having a therapist, having a, a moment in time where I can give the attention to myself, mm-hmm. I think would have allowed me to be a better sister and help her in different ways. Um, same with my mom and same with her. So I, I would definitely advise that. And then just communicate and understand that you can't control everything. You can only do so much and that there's a lot of empowerment in that, but it also relieves a lot of pressure. Um, the main stressors that, that I had floating around my minds were of a creation of my own. Mm-hmm. Right? So because there were so many unknowns, I, I would seek out all the different potential you know, paths that could lead to the symptoms and the signs that she was revealing. And it just became a, a trial and error process. I've seen doctors make diagnosis that ended up you know, not being accurate. Um, we've gone many different conflicting opinions where first they thought it was behavioral, they thought it was psychological, then they thought um, it was this or that. And it was as if I was, I was trying to achieve or get to a certain finish line or achieve a goal per se. Um, Yeah, I I neglected myself to a a large extent as a result of that. Um, I still, I like to talk to my younger version of myself sometimes and I'll (laughs) journal pretending that I'm writing letters to her just to kind of express, you know, this is unfortunate. Um, Nobody asked for this, but you are still a person. Even though you're a passenger, you're still going somewhere. You're still on the same journey. And that means that you are susceptible to the impacts of of what's going around you and honor that and and give time and attention um, to it. I love that idea of journaling to your younger self um, and just that kind of self-compassion and talking and even just talking to your younger self. I it didn't occur to me to do, you know, to do that. It, it just, that seems like such a powerful tool and just a way to be, you know, kind to yourself. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. Sure. It's like a love letter. We should all practice that more. Yeah. Right? Writing love letters to our younger versions. Yeah. And I was going to say, I feel like something else that you said in there that, that was really impactful is you were mindful or you're looking back and you're thinking, man, I, I could have given myself a little more love and, and attention and not neglected myself so much. And I feel like from a parent's perspective, they might be thinking about that for their their other sibling, right? So like, how can I make sure that I'm not neglecting that sibling or helping that sibling still feel loved, even though my other child might be in seven different therapies. And I, I love what Mary Grace said, well, bring the other kids along when you can and really inform them and let them know you're a part of this too in a good way. And then of course, Mm -hmm. on the other side of the coin, we maybe have some special time with that other sibling and allow them to have something for themselves to really help to balance it out a little bit. Exactly. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's actually a good segue into our last question. Oh, yes. I know we've talked a little bit about advice here and there, but if you could kind of distill it down, if you can, to <laughs> one piece or maybe two um, piece of advice or a takeaway for parents who maybe are in, you know, have a similar family dynamic, um, have children or a child who has special um, support needs and, and some that don't, uh, what would what would that advice be? Hmm. You know, I am not a parent quite yet, so I hope that parents, you know, they can take this as they will. But as I mentioned earlier, I really do think that my parents did an exceptional job of prioritizing my brother's support needs while still being present for myself and my other siblings. Um, so I would say to parents that it is possible to prioritize both your kiddo with support needs and your child or your children without. Um, like we discussed, there are ways to adapt and to find that new normal um, and to inform one another. And I would say just to work on finding out how that may look for you. Um, I know that's pretty vague, but I, you know, I don't know these families and I'm not a parent, but I think that there is a way to discuss these things um, and come to you know, a happy medium or a, a new normal again um, on how to both prioritize, you know, your kiddo with and without support needs. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if nothing else, maybe it's just a, a nice reminder, right? Parents can get caught up in so many therapies and things like that. And it's just, mm-hmm. you know, to permission yourself time to say, you know what, I, I, I'm going to also spend time with, with and, yeah. and prioritize my other kids too. And that's okay. And yeah, just doing the best they can. For sure. For sure. Sorry if that was really vague, guys. <laughs> that was a no, hard one. good. Yeah. It is a hard one. I'd say just reinforcing and repeating the message that you love and you're caring for your child, not just their needs. That's an, an important difference that, that needs to be, you know, constantly reiterated. Um, for, for myself, I, I felt that it was easy for us to kind of treat my sister and her circumstances and her health as one and the same. And that's not true. She's an individual, right? She she has a personality, a sense of humor. She's intelligent. Um, so am I. So, so is my mom. But it was easy for us to get into the mundane of the routine of just going in and out of certain uh, doctor's appointments, only focusing on, you know, the the most critical needs that would take us out of a crisis state. So make sure that you pause and can find unique ways of, of acknowledging your children as individuals and yourself as individuals throughout um, the hurdles will, will really make all the difference. Yeah, I love that. It's almost like this is you know so inspirational. It's that you don't have to do it perfectly, but even if you take a step back and pause and think about how can I how can I prioritize a little bit differently, maybe um, so that I'm I'm feeling like everyone's needs are met as a parent. Yeah, really good advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you both so much for being here and sharing. It's this is some you know this is deep stuff and mm-hmm. it goes into family and your journey and your kind of thoughts and feelings. And so we really appreciate you diving in with us and sharing some of these really amazing takeaways and just a little part of yourselves. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having us. I know it's a very important topic to continue to discuss. So I appreciate you guys letting us share our story. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. I, I can't even reinforce what 
I felt when I first read or heard about this topic as, as something that we're going to be working on for the podcast. It just it made me feel seen as a sibling who's experienced what I've experienced, who's played the role that I've played a role in. Um, and mm-hmm. I feel that. I know others are feeling that, right? And we can make a difference. Mm-hmm. One podcast yeah. at a time. <laughs> yeah. Thank you all. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, thank you for joining us on our 28th episode of Behaviorally Speaking. Our next episode will be on preparing for the holidays. Until then, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. You've been listening to Behaviorally Speaking with Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi, brought to you by Rethink Care. Find out more at RethinkCare.com. You can find past podcast episodes under the resources tab. We also invite you to subscribe, follow, like, and leave us feedback wherever you listen to podcasts. Your feedback helps us prepare topics and content for future episodes. Until next time, have a great day.